You're listening to the Matchday FM podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Prem Talk, brought to you by Matchday FM. My name is Chris Coughlin, and I'm joined by Chris Stott, who I'm sure is no doubt relieved that we've just gone past the last international break of the year, although technically we do have a Nations League break. But anyway, Chris, mid-season break is the last one. Yeah, it's, uh, it always seems like a, a long week, doesn't it, when you've not got the Premier League to, to look forward to. Um Typically, it's the one week I check my fantasy team when there's no games. Um, but yeah, um, it's it's like I said, it always feels like a, a long week. So it'll be good to to get back to sort of that normality, and especially now when it's the business end of the season and sort of it's a long running. It's like a it almost feels like a season in its own right with so much to play for right now. You've got that good stretch to the to the final uh, finish line. So. Yeah, and it's set up beautifully as well, which always helps. A season in its own right. I like that. Did you <laughs> think that, that, that off the top of your head? Yeah, yeah, to be fair. <laughs> I like that. And also, don't mention fantasy football. I just shuddered at the thought of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the final few games. Um, but uh, looking back over the international break, obviously England, two friendlies against Switzerland and the Ivory Coast. 2-1 win over Switzerland, 3-0 win over the Ivory Coast. Who were... Or who delivered rather the most impressive displays of the week for you? Because we had some experienced campaigners in there, of course, but also plenty of debutants as well. Yeah, I think um, the obvious ones are, I think, are in midfield. Um, Conor Gallagher um, against Switzerland. He got man of the match, didn't he? Um, he was he was really good. He was very good. Yeah, he, he looked as though he just fitted in really nicely into the into the system, um, and. Has made a real claim for that place. I'd probably made a claim for his club position at Chelsea potentially next season with everything that's going on on there that he might sort of get up the pecking order very quickly. But yeah, he looks really comfortable at, at that level. Um, and then obviously Bellingham um, against Ivory Coast in particular, I thought showed flashes of just star quality. Um, so I think those two in particular really stood out for me. I thought um, Cal Walker Peak. Um, I, you know, I, th- I think he's another one that he's probably quite far down the pecking order in terms of you, obviously you've got um, Trent, Reese James in that in that position, uh, still Cal Walker and Kieran Trippier, but if we're going down to fifth choice and it's Cal Walker Peters, I think we're pretty healthy, really. You know what I mean? He's um, and then you know you potentially got like Tariq Lamptey coming in behind him as well, so it's said before isn't it that it's probably the strongest position in England um, and Ben White still finds his, uh, still finds himself at right back yeah I thought he did okay as well to prefer right back um, but, I mean to be fair he, he's another one that I think um, performed well um, Matt Gurhey solid um, on, on debut um, Connor Cody I think he performs really well whenever he plays for England and I think if you're going to play about three he's in it simple um mm-hmm. Because I think he's the best at playing a back three out of what we have on offer. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think all in all, um, it was a good couple of performances with a lot of um, good individual elements. Um, Jordan Pickford, 
you know, I know we spoke on the last podcast, myself and, um, and Sam, um, about the um, England number one position with Ramsdale's emergence. But Pickford against Switzerland makes one unbelievable save for the, the reflex. Oh, uh, yes. And tipping it onto the bar. And, you know, he's done, again, superbly and sort of cemented his claim. So I think... Um, he, he would probably be in that bracket of, of good performers who have sort of nailed down a position. Um, and obviously Harry Kane, equal in second um, with his goal in terms of uh, record goal scorers for England. So he's getting closer to, to the ultimate milestone, isn't he? So, yeah, I think there's a lot of positive sort of strands to the last two games for England. Yeah, it's it's... It's a case of uh, when, not if Harry Kane will take over that uh, that title from Wayne Rooney, absolutely, as England's all-time top scorer. Um, a couple of the names you mentioned there, you know, the, the Palace trio, Conor Gallagher, Mark Gehi, Tarek Mitchell as well, of oh, course, yeah. came in. I thought he played very well against the Ivory Coast. Carl Walker-Peters as well. Um, there's been, you know, there has been talk about Southgate maybe favouring people, having his preferred options. But then perhaps what we haven't seen what we're seeing now, what we haven't seen in the past as such, is players that are playing regularly towards mid-table in the Premier League getting more opportunities than bit-part players at the top end, if that makes sense. And it's interesting because you look at you look at other countries, and I think it's important to it's important to note Tammy Abraham was was in the original squad, and he's having an amazing season for Roma. So there are elements of looking abroad, Jude Bellingham, of course, as well. Um, but for other countries. They have, they do have players, I suppose, that at the top end of other levels because they're not all playing in one league. If that makes sense. So for the majority of them, but there are players now that know that they're going to get the opportunity under Gareth Southgate because, given his experience with under twenty ones, he understands the pathway to the top level. And I think of of those in particular, we all knew Gallagher was going to be in the squad. We you know, he was before, but then yeah, he you saw his pride at getting in the team as well. Mitchell getting called up and Carl Walker as as we've all mentioned. Um, it just it gives players an indication that there is a, a pathway for them if they perform well, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think um, that is good to say because let's face it, there's some players at the top clubs who are English who are who just aren't playing well enough to, to warrant a place. Um, Marcus Rashford being being it. An example, and he's been admitted. Um, you know, you know the irony. I know we talked a while back about Jaden Sancho. I thought he was going to get in this squad because I thought he'd yeah. approved for United. Yeah, I th- and then he I, finds himself out of it. Yeah, I, I think in those forward areas, that's probably like I said with right back. That's one of those where a player in form is going to miss out because there's so many good options. Um, but yeah, I, I think it is. It is good that you know you, if you're performing week in, week out for your club, regardless of who it is, you're going to get a shot. And I think I think as well, it shows the um, standard across the board in the Premier League is higher than it's probably ever been. Um, so, you know, the the fact that um, players from your Crystal Palace, your Southampton, cut it with the with the very, very best. Um, and I think, you know, like I said, that, that shows how the Premier League is, is better um, in terms of it's more competitive and, you know, your English players... Um, can make the step up to the top level without having playing in the Champions League week in, week out, for example. So that's only can only be a positive thing. And I think as well, they're hungry as well. Not saying that the elite elite players are 
um, answer, but it probably means a bit more to them that they've got the call up without paying for a City, Liverpool, United, Arsenal, or whoever. Oh, yeah. If, 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 I, if I had a cap, it'd probably just it'd probably be the mm. first thing you saw as you head to the house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And <laughs> it's, actually getting on the pitch. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and I think, you know, Southgate is, is, has finally caught on to the fact that you play the players who are A, informed for the club, or B, informed for England, and not just sort of there because they're a name, which I think you can label it probably every previous manager, um, especially yeah. Capello. He just yeah. picked the players in you, didn't he? Well, we, yeah, we've heard plenty of, especially out in South Africa uh, about Capello. But yeah, we're talking, you know, not even uh, Alexander Arnold didn't play, Rich James didn't play, Bakao Saka didn't play Chilwell. all because of Ill, Ill, illness, injury, Showell um, as well. One uh, one player that did step up, certainly in the second game against Ivory Coast, Raheem Sterling, handed the captain's armband as well. Um, for City, it, it, again, he's an example, isn't he? Because even though we had a great run around the turn of the year. He's not someone that you'd necessarily, and I think he'd admit himself, he's not not someone that necessarily is a bona fide start of a Manchester City, which is crazy mm. given the quality in their squad. But again, it just showed that whilst he, he did go on that long run, didn't he, of not really contributing in an England shirt. But now, and even in the summer, I remember when we sat there talking about Wood Sterling start the first <laughs> game. Um Against Croatia, goes on, scores the winner, and, and ultimately was one of the main reasons England finished. Well, probably the reason England finished top of their group. Um, ultimately, in the, in the Euros, and ultimately he is really performing in an England shirt now, isn't he? Yeah, and it goes back to that point about um, if you can be doing decent for a club, but if, you know if you have got that sort of England background where you've performed really, really well for a long period of time. But Raheem Sterling is now doing the last two, three seasons for England. He's been been outstanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and Gareth, I've got, I've got the trust in him that he knows he's getting an 8 out of 10 every week when he plays for England. So um, he he's one of those that falls into the bracket of his club form might dip or he might be in and out of the team. But you would trust him to go and perform for England. And I think yep. you always need a couple of those players. Um and I think, you know, him and Pickford are probably very similar in, in that regards, that arguably right now they're playing better for England than they are for their, for their club. Um, that's With Sterling, that's probably more because he's, he's not getting the opportunity as much. So he's one that I think, until his England form dips, is a shoo-in for me. Yeah, absolutely. For uh, Raheem Sterling, he's just shown time and time again what he does for England on this year. I was just thinking then it's it's best part of a decade really since he uh, broke through at Liverpool and of course then he's, he's just done so well in his career. Um, last point on England, and it's a big point and I've left it to the last because it is such a big point. Um, Harry Maguire, it's been discussed so much. We've discussed ourselves. I believe he he's better in a back three not necessarily in a two, which he does play for in, for Manchester United, but he was booed yesterday when his name was shouted out. And one, one thing that I don't think we've seen to this extent was, of course, you could talk about pundits and you could talk about journalists giving their opinions on this, but Southgate, Jordan Henderson and Harry Kane were three of the ones, and Declan Rice as well, I saw, really, really passionate in the defence of Harry Maguire. Gareth Southgate went as far as to call it a joke. Harry Kane called it embarrassing. 
What are your thoughts on the booing of Harry Maguire last night? Because it, it was, but for someone, yes, he's not going through the best time for his club, but it, it, it was extraordinary, really, wasn't it? I just don't get it. Why? What's he done? Like, he's not done something that warrants being booed. You know, like, the most recent cases, obviously, when Zuma was um, abusing his cat, he got booed, and rightfully so. Um, and will continue to be booed. Yeah. But, Absolutely. But what's Maguire done? He, oh, he's playing bad for United. Did they forget how good he's been for England? He's been, let's face it, he's been outstanding for England at major tournaments, especially. Um, you know, right back to 2018 World Cup, he was, he was brilliant. Uh, the Euros, brilliant. He, yeah, he makes the odd mistake for England, but not in a major tournament. Um, I just, yeah, I just don't understand it. Because it's similar to Pickford in that regard, isn't it? Because Pickford's never made a mistake for mm. England. Statistically, never has never made a mistake leading to a goal for England. But still, there are, I mean, not booing as such, but there are people that criticise and, and debate whether he should be in the team or not. Mm. And again, for Harry Maguire, Gareth Southgate made the point of the influence that he's had in terms of their performances at major tournaments and reaching yeah. them as well. Yeah, and I, I, like I said, I just don't get it. It's not like he's done anything naughty, anything criminal. All right, out daft like that. He's just having a bad time at United. Yeah, people might go, oh, why is he playing for England if he's having a bad time for United? But again, I go back to my point of when he plays for England, he's a completely different player. He looks like a, a top defender. I mean, it's bizarre. and I don't quite understand how he can be completely... He can always be two different players. But yeah, I just... It, it was baffling. And I think the England players and coach are right to question... Why, why were the fans doing that and and stick by by their teammate, the player, and yeah, it, there's been such a good connection between fans and players over the last few years, um, and it, this is the first time that the sort the two have sort of gone against each other. So it'll be interesting to see what comes next in terms of a reaction from the fans or of or, or from players themselves. So yeah. It's, it's it's a stupid one. I just don't understand it. Um, I think Southgate and the players are right in their comments. I think it was embarrassing and it was a joke. You're listening to Matchday FM. I did look at one stage. We'd maybe have four teams battling it out for uh, for Champions League place on the final day. Obviously, Chester. Sorry, yeah, Chelsea. Chelsea, Leicester, Manchester oh, United. Start again. That's yeah. going in a sting. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Liverpool, Liverpool, Man City, Man United, and Chester. <laughs> Banter, debate, and the odd good point too. Right here on Matchday FM. Switching our attentions back to domestic action now, the resumption of the Premier League is this weekend as we enter the uh, the home straight, if you like, in the top flight. And there's plenty of juicy ones to look at. There's two teams in particular I want to look at, uh, Chris, because there's two games for each of Burnley and Everton this weekend. Um, Burnley uh, host Manchester City on Saturday. Everton go to West Ham on Sunday. 
for then the two teams meet next Wednesday at Turf Moor. For the two for for Burnley and Everton, I suppose it is very difficult to talk about Burnley's game against Manchester City given the overwhelming favourites that Manchester City will be in that game. Of course, football doesn't always work out the way the bookies want it to. Um, but uh, for for Burnley versus Everton in particular, that game next Wednesday, who's that bigger for, do you think? That is a good question. Um... Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Logically, you'd say Burnley because they've got to make up the ground. Um, and obviously, they win in now is the gap massively. Um, obviously, depending on the the other results. Um, is it a case of must not lose for Everton as opposed to must win? Yeah, I, I think a point for Everton won't be too bad because at worst, there's still going to be a point above Watford um, for games in hand. So... At least, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. I yeah. mean, I think yeah. you look at you look at Everton. Um, obviously, that win against Newcastle sort of changed the dynamic a little bit. Um, if they'd have lost that game, then I'd have been in very much in the camp of going. I think they're going to go, but now I just think with games in hand, if they beat the teams around them in the couple of the games they've got, that probably does it. Um, but if they were to lose against Burnley. You know, if, if results go a certain way, they could be back within a point of each other. So, sort of sit on the fence, answer is a massive game for both. But I also think Burnley, if they lose it and results of, of in the games around them as well have gone a certain way, the gap just could be too big, really. Because um, in theory, Say Everton and Burnley don't both don't win at the weekend, it stays as it is. And Everton win is that's seven points. But if Everton have won at the weekend and Burnley haven't, then we could be looking at a ten point gap and that is probably it for Burnley. So it, yeah. you would probably sway towards saying it's bigger for Burnley, but Everton also need to make sure they get something from it. Because it looks like such a dramatic fight at the bottom, but you quite as you quite rightly say, if results go against Burnley this week, it could all of a sudden be 10 points back to them. We could we could almost be talking about it being done and dusted down at the bottom. Mm. Um, one of the big things I'm looking at for Everton's game against West Ham, and this is very much a case of easier said than done, but was it a good thing for Everton that West Ham lost against Tottenham? Because now there's six points behind Arsenal, Having played two games more, and have the and have their first leg against Leon on Thursday. Yeah, it's probably so time to it, play him, isn't it? It, it? There's there's a lot of thinking about there. There's many teams of many teams have referred to in just one question, but I had never I'd never accuse any team of not wanting to win a Premier League game. But are should all West Ham's eggs now be in the Europa League basket? I think possibly, at least for this next week or two. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, thing is, a worst are going to finish eighth, which obviously will mean they'll miss the Conference League. So yeah. I think because they'll want they'll want to get into, into Europe one, one way or another as well. 
Exactly, exactly. Um, and it looks as though they're probably in a shootout with Wolves for that spot based on the fact that they, the pair of them have played the more games. Um, so, yeah, I, I think this week... I think naturally the focus is going to be on that Leon game and probably it'll be the following week as well. They play Leon again, won't it? Yeah. But yeah. So realistically, the next two weeks, that, I mean, should really should be their focus. I think fans would probably want that. Um, but I don't think Moyes would, especially no. coming up against Everton. I think he yeah. him, would probably quite like to relegate him. Um, His former club and also Everton's last away win was in it was in August mm. so we're talking they haven't won an away game in the Premier League since the first week of the season so this is the first month of the season rather which is an incredible statistic given how good away from the way from home last season mm. I think ultimately West Ham will be happy with a point in that game but that Everton away from is just mental really it's, it's relegation away from like, let's be serious um, especially when the home form has, hasn't been particularly could either um and obviously was it you said august the last um yeah bright when, right in the way too now when they were flying as well and they got the majority i think they got about half the points that they have now at that within the first two months didn't they so um of the yeah i think it was of their wins of their of their wins this season four of them came between august and september they only have seven which, which yeah which shows the, the, the problems that they've had. I mean, look at Burnley as well. Not that they've had a particularly good season themselves. This is first. This is the first real season, I'd say, where for a while we've looked at Burnley and gone, they won't necessarily get out of it. Mm. Because we've always had that impression of Burnley where you know, they've got the nous, they've got the know-how, they've been down there before. But they've only got 21 points and 27 games. And the second lowest scorers in the top flight. So, by all means, they, you know, it is a very precarious position. And I don't know, have you seen their recent record against Manchester City? <laughs> it's oh, it's like five every every time, isn't it? It's really, really concerning, especially going into this game. Um, what you will say, uh, I look at the running, and I think Evans' running is one of the worst at one of the worst at the bottom of the table. It really is. Burnley. Do you think because because they can defend, admittedly they, ha- they haven't defended well at times this season, and we'll have to wait and see it, what uh, what the case of Ben Mee is in terms of his return. But this week for Burnley, as you as you quite rightly said earlier, in terms of what it could be if results go against them, is is it make or is it make or break, or is every game almost a case of make or break now given the position? Yeah, I think I think it's verging on that. Um, I think when you look at it as well. They've actually drawn twelve games. They've yeah. only lost twelve. So they're, they're different. They are difficult. They don't lose many games, uh, but they're, they're they're not winning them. That's the problem. Well, if you look, they've lost the same amount of um, of games as, as Wolves. i um, only lost two more than Tottenham. It was. It's been a case of the draw, the draw column, and the goals for column. That's what's been their undoing. If they scored more goals, they'd have won won those those draws drawn games it's, it's as simple as and that's just not happened for them this season um, I think if they'd have had Veghorst from day one um, and Corne wouldn't have had that injury um, we could be look, could be looking at them sort of 15th realistically because um, you know you're just talking 
turned four of those draws into wins. It's an extra eight points on 29, 16th. Two, two, or two of those wins came back to back as well against mm. uh, against Brighton and Tottenham. And I suppose, given the dramatic events at Molyneux before international break, that was a bit of a sucker punch for both teams as well, wasn't mm. it? Because at two, at two nil to Wolves in that game, I think both Everton and Burnley are seeing Leeds very much in their eyesight. And then next thing you know, half an hour later, Leeds. Of a four-point lead over Everton and an eight-point lead over Burnley. Mm. So, that game was uh, just prime, just, prime Premier League. That one is. <laughs> I mean, cra- crazy for a number of reasons. I think it's fair to say. Much. Just a, like the goals were just hilarious as well. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, the uh, yeah, and, and well, Luke Ayling thinking they ended my Josh Warren to walk out, didn't it? If he, <laughs> if he wasn't going, if he wasn't going yeah. to be there already, it was brilliant, uh, wasn't it? And. Uh, like you said, though, I think that game really changed the complexion of that um, relegation battle because yeah. I think it just, the fact that Leeds have gone back to back now in two dramatic yeah. wins as well. Let's be yeah. fair. Um, I it's think that's four just, points in stoppage time of the last two games. Yeah. Well, and, and that's kept them out of the bottom three. Simple as. Yeah. And I I think they have got got the confidence now to, to go on. Um, I'm actually quite impressed how they've sort of responded under Jesse Marsh as well. Um, but ultimately, what's going against them, and you would probably say Brentford as well, is the fact that they have played more games than everybody below them. Two of them have three games in hand. It's almost a bit of a waiting game week to week, waiting yeah. for that midweek game yeah. to finish and seeing where we're at. Um, yeah, because Burnley and Everton do have other games in hand as well. Yeah, but both of them could go above Leeds if they wait. Well, ultimately, they both can't because obviously they're playing each other. But at worst, Burnley can be within a point if, say, Burnley pull off a miracle beat City um, as, as well. And, well, actually, just based on the games in hand, um, I think one's against Watford, one's against Tottenham, one's against Everton. I think. Against, yeah, well, Everton, they've definitely got Watford. Well, they've also got Watford away, Everton. Uh, Palace got another game against Leicester to be a rate. Uh, well, uh, got two games against Leicester as well, who could well be focusing on the Conference League. So we're yeah. <laughs> all set for a very interesting end of the season. It's interesting there you mentioned about if Burnley can get a miracle against Manchester City. Uh, Liverpool, we're very much hoping that would be the case uh, <laughs> as well. Um, but it's interesting because Liverpool, having been a case of double figures in terms of points behind Manchester City at one point this season, can go top if only for a couple of hours against, uh, if they beat Watford in the early kickoff on Saturday. And do Everton um, a favour in the process. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. So that, it's a very interesting uh, game that for, for both sides of Merseyside. Um, for for Liverpool as well, we're, we're waiting to hear on Trent Alexander-Arnold. I don't think, it's, it feels like it'd be a bit t- case of touch and go for the Watford game. And if, if you are if you are Liverpool, would you think to yourselves, give him the week off, get him fit and firing for the Etihad a week on Sunday? Yeah, it's a no-brainer. It's Watford at home. Really, Liverpool should win that game with or without Alexander-Arnold. They should win that game without two of the front three, really. <laughs> you know, It's one of those, but it's a Premier League, isn't it? Um, but yeah, I think don't don't rush Trent back if I was, was Klopp. Um, 
you've got the players who can play there. Um, stick James Mill on the right back. He's, he's done a job more often or than not. Hasn't jo- he? Joel, or Joe Gomez. Um, there's options. Who's, yeah, he did perform uh, well against Nottingham Forest in that position, Joe Gomez. I mean, hmm. at times he has looked like yeah, we talk about the traditional case of a centre back when he plays at right back or or left back, looking a bit out of place. But he has actually started his Liverpool career at left back. Joe Gomez, when he first got into the team and has played at right back mm. to cover for Trent Alexander-Arnold. And you would imagine that he is probably the leading candidate with no Nico Williams, who's doing very well alone at Fulham, it has to be said. Um, he's the leading candidate to take over from Alexander-Arnold to deputise at right back. And it's interesting, what Watford, well, we all remember... Uh, Watford's last contribution against Liverpool when Liverpool were going for a title a couple of years ago. Mm. Although what I will say, that was on a, that was in a leap year. So it means I won't see it on this day until like 2024 for that game. Um, but yeah, it's um, for Liverpool, it has got to be a case of the focus, hasn't it? Because as well, I, I don't think I can recall. Well, I know Manchester City have gone for all four competitions as well in the past, but certainly it's very rare that a team has an April this busy. Mm-hmm. Two games against Benfica coming up, uh, midweek, game, midweek game against Manchester United coming up, FA Cup semi-final against Manchester City as well, so they're playing City two weekends in a row in different competitions. This Liverpool squad, it's, it's far deeper than it has been in the past, hasn't it? But that is testament to the recruitment. This is a testing month, isn't it? Because if... If Liverpool, you know, if Liverpool are to entertain talks of the quadruple, Jurgen Klopp gets asked at most of his press conferences. This is the defining month in terms of at least getting into a position to look to claim a potential historic quadruple. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And I put it this way: if he moans about the uh, the amount of fixtures, I'll just say to him, "Look, if you want to be successful, you've got to play a lot of games." That is the argument, isn't it? It's it's a it's a it's not an argument; it's a fact. I don't, I don't buy into this thing of oh, we got so many games. We, you know, it's unfair that we have to play midweek then, Sunday. Don't be in all the cups then, mate. And then you no don't get rearranged and stuff. It, it's, it's just, it's a, it's just not an argument for me. But fair play that they're in all the competitions and have a realistic chance of winning all of them. Um, I mean, obviously, I hope they don't. I hope both City and Liverpool at least split them. Um, or ideally, <laughs> none of them win the Champions League. Um, so, but yeah, it, it it is very much a defining month. I think it's a defining month for for, for both clubs in in terms of that aspiration. Um, but it, it probably you would probably say it's tougher for for Liverpool um, because the squad isn't quite as deep as City's. Um, I think City certainly had two 11s. Liverpool. Well, City probably had two 11s and two subs benches, to be fair. Um, Liverpool probably had three quarters of a second 11. That's nice. In terms of like a, a title winning second 11, you know, City's second 11 would finish top four, simple. Um, Liverpool's probably would be more of a battle for it. Um, but it's still a very good second 11. It's all about. <laughs> Klopp want will he rotate in which games? Um, sort of it'd be interesting that sort of FA Cup semi final. Um, will City 
and Liverpool to sort of try their mind games and bluff each other when it comes to team selection. Which one's going to... Yes. Because what you would say is that's probably the least... <laughs> the least... Um, um, of the priorities for for um for both of them. Um certainly Liverpool, I think. Um I don't know, so police But if if if, yeah, if you went around and said to supporters of those two games for Manchester City and Liverpool, League Cup lead ga- league game at the Etihad or the FA Cup semi final, which would you rather win? What mm. would be the answer from most fans' mouths? Probably the league game. Probably I probably agree. Yeah. I mean, a trophy is a trophy at the end of the day. And I think you, know, you, you, you do get that, that feeling of winning a semi-final against a team that you are in so, in so much competition with is fantastic. But if you talk about the holy grail of the league title, mm. it feels like it could yeah. be such a decisive game. I think you've got to look at the way Ferguson handled it in 99. Um, even from the start of the season, had four strikers played two up front. So he had two different centre-forwards and both were brilliant. <laughs> and he could rotate. Um, Whereas City don't play with a striker. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, and he will have got his rotation spot on. He won't have made wholesale changes. He'd have just gone, right, okay, you're going this combination up front for, for that one, that combination up front for that one, this combination for that one, and just sort of work. It wasn't two totally different 11s. It was like one or two changes here and there. The core of the team was the same because... They trained all season to play three games in a week to go and win three trophies. That's the mindset Liverpool have got to have for the four. Same for City with the three. They, they've got to sort of treat every game the same, really. I don't think you can really do the, um, the, the old rotate and sort of prioritise because what if you lose the one you prioritised? Um, it makes you look stupid especially if you then lose the one you didn't prioritise as well. You know, Liverpool, in theory, if he if gets his squad rotation selection wrong, either of them, they could be out of two of the competitions within a week. And yeah. that's massive. Um, so, in change the complexion of the season, he goes from being historic to being, eh, you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah. it, it's this is where the manager... Earns his money, I think. Yeah, it's, it's it's absolutely a consideration for both Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola. Such a big month coming up for both teams. Uh, Chris, I think we'll uh, leave it there for this afternoon. Plenty to look forward to in the Premier League this weekend, and then the Champions League next weekend, and then the FA Cup in a few weeks' time. So it's just it's going to be an absolutely roller coaster blockbuster last couple of months to the season so it won't be long till i catch you again chris and uh, i'll see you soon mate no worries thanks for having me i've been chris coughlin he's been chris stott and you've been listening to prem talk on match day fm